the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Shout out to our super producer, Max Williams, and a very special shout out to our guest super producer, returning again, the one, the only, Mr. Lowell Brillante. Uh, I've been, you're, you're Noel, and this is part two of a two-part series, isn't it? It is indeed. Uh, part two of Ada Lovelace and her journey into uh, mathematics and computation and, you know, standard bearing, trailblazing, all that good stuff. Where, where do we leave off, Ben? If I'm not mistaken, she had just kind of returned to the fray of, uh, of, of computer science after a brief stint in the domestic realm. Yes, after just a few months after the birth of her third child, back in 1839, Ada decided to dive back into the world of numeracy and the world of mathematics. And it's interesting because we mentioned in part one, we'll pause, everybody listen to part one. And you're back. So in part one. We're still here. We're still here. In part one, uh, she met the man who would become her mentor, Charles Babbage. And just before she got married, uh, in 1835, she got married. So a year before then, in 1834, Babbage had finally begun to mess around with something he called not the difference machine, but something he called an analytical engine. This is the old trope you might hear of uh, punch cards being used in, in the first computers, right? 
That's right. Um, it, it was the earliest form of uh, kind of large mainframe type computer systems that continued to use punch card systems well into the 80s, I believe, like, you know, big, massive um, room filling systems that use these punch cards to uh, instruct the computer on what to do. Um, I, I'm a little hazy on exactly how that works. It's all kind of magic to me in, in some ways, but essentially the punch cards are the instructions. Uh, in, in this situation, it was very rudimentary um, tasks and computations uh, that could multiply and divide numbers um, and other more simplistic data-related tasks using these punch cards as the uh, the programming instructions. Um, really quickly, Ben, do you remember back in probably the 90s, maybe the early to mid-90s, there used to be a chain of computer stores called Babbage's? Was it? You know, I was thinking about that. I was trying to remember if they were computer stores or music stores, and I'm pretty sure you're right. They're, uh, they were computer stores. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, Babbage's ultimately became GameStop. Babbage's was the initial, um, you know, concept, and then it gradually uh, mutated into GameStop and Movie Stop and all of the various stops. Um, but, but I might be mistaken, but I think that's right. Uh, it was a very popular chain of stores in the 80s and 90s, but named mm-hmm. after Charles Babbage. Uh, I just always thought it was a funny word when I was a kid. Fa- Didn't yeah, me too. That, yeah. <laughs> Founding partner of that, or one of the early investors, was Ross Perot, which is a deep cut for a lot of people. He was one of the uh, he was one of the politicians in recent U.S. history who actually got close to being a, a member of a, or a candidate for a viable third political party. Spoiler, it didn't happen. No, and he was also one of the, you know, more fledgling candidates that um, was quite fun in his um, portrayal on uh, Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. I think it was Dana Carvey that did Ross Perot, and he did the whole like, can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? Jibba chabba, jibba chubba, jibba chabba. Anyway, it was a thing. Um, but it's true. So Babbage at this point has started to develop this system called the analytical engine. Um, Initially, it was just a concept. It was these sketches of this massive machine that literally used, you know, mechanical pieces, mechanical components like uh, cogs. Very Mm -hmm. Very much so. Uh, And again, they filled up rooms uh, or or would ultimately uh, go on to fill up rooms what what it would become of this. Uh, Lovelace was... uh, essentially acting as a a consultant on this project, she seemed to understand the idea behind it or the potential behind it, maybe even more so than Babbage himself. Yeah, and this is a theme that we saw earlier in part one of this series. She saw the potential for, uh, for this to be a representation of what she called poetical science, which goes back to the earlier conflict with her mother about, you know, math versus poetry. Please don't let my daughter turn into Lord Byron because he's, you know, kind of out there. So... Babbage goes to Turin to promote his work, to promote his ideas, and while he's promoting this, he realizes he needs a lot of financial support to make this trip happen. And Lovelace had already served as the primary interpreter of these drawing board ideas, essentially. And to be clear, it's the building of the machine that requires a lot of money. So this is, this is kind of a pitch trip for Mm -hmm. him as well that's 
where he meets a mathematician with the wonderful name Luigi Federico Menabrea. And this guy says, all right, your ideas check out. Charlie, I am going to, I'm going to write a paper about this machine. And the paper gets published in October 1842 in a Swiss journal. Lovelace translates it from French. And then while she's translating, she also adds her own notes. And the the paper itself that this guy Luigi writes is about 8,000 words long. Not bad. But the translation and the commentary that Lovelace creates comes in at about 20,000 words. And (laughs) Charles Babbage is saying the notes of the Countess of Lovelace extend to about three times the length of the original memoir. And uh, he's, again, very, very impressed with the quality of her thought and her scholarship. Yeah, it's true. And he certainly sees that in her. And despite, you know, it being a very chauvinistic and patriarchal world, you know, the society in general, but also just the idea that men were the only people that had ideas worth paying attention to. Um, And you needed to get this uh, Luigi Federico Monabrea to co-sign on it. It wasn't enough for Lovelace to have done it, even though she obviously could have done it herself and clearly massively improved upon um, uh, Monabrea's ideas um, by a significant margin. Um, But her notes were published, you know, translation and the notes were published in 1843 um, and according to Lovelace you know scholars and historians this was her most important contribution to the uh, the burgeoning field of computer science which really wasn't even they weren't even calling it that uh, I actually have our good friend Alex Williams who composed our theme his father um, and mother are both computer scientists, and I briefly was talking to his dad about uh, Lovelace, um, and he just mentioned how, you know, they were still using a punch card systems when he was coming up in, you know, the computer science world, and how early on there was actually a programming language that was named after Lovelace that was called Ada that was used by military um, computer scientists for military systems, but that, you know, like similar with the uh, whole Hidden Figures film, this like group of women that were very responsible for kind of cracking a lot of the science behind um, space travel, uh, but were largely relegated to kind of the shadows, hence the name. And this is very much the case for Lovelace. She definitely didn't get her due until much, much, much later, um, but was clearly one of the most important figures in the development of, of this technology, uh, more so even maybe than the guy who kind of envisioned it. Yeah. And quick note, this will be if, for any fellow ridiculous historians who are also fans of etymology. The original noun computer described a person, not a machine, from the 1640s, one who calculates or a reckoner, which I always thought I always thought was so fascinating. Um, you're right. The, she's working against tremendous misogyny, as you said earlier. In fact, her translation in her notes when they're published in 1843, uh, the authorship is attributed to just a series of initials, A-A-L. And, and this is... This is kind of a this is kind of a kick in the pants because it is still considered one of her greatest contributions to to the field and she walks through not just the possibilities of how it could work but she also walks through the context leading to its creation and she specifically shouts out the jacquard loom which was a silk weaving machine and it could create images using a chain of punched cards. And Lovelace 
how poetically scientific is this? She says, look, folks, this engine that Babbage has made is doing the same thing, but it's weaving mathematical problems. It's weaving patterns. They're just numerical. She also wrote how it could uh, how it could work in a specific case test. Like, here's an example of how you would use these punch cards to create a long sequence. And this outline that she that she thought up that she created this is considered to be the very first computer program and mm -hmm. and she has this beautiful line where she says the science of operations as derived from mathematics more especially is a science of itself and has its own abstract truth and value chef's kiss Oh, indeed. And just back to the Jacquard loom really quickly. That was developed by uh, Joseph-Marie Jacquard. Um, and uh, to me, this is a really great way to kind of understand somewhat how punch cards work. Uh, you know, I, I think it was clearly a next level use of this technology when it started to be used for more d difficult, you know, uh, algorithms and, and mathematical equation solving and things like that. But it's sort of almost like a player piano. Or, or a music box, where like if you have a music box, you create the programming or the instructions for what individual musical tines will be plucked to create a melody by punching out sequences of notes like on a scale, on a staff that is on a roll of paper. Uh, in the same way that a player piano, you feed these rolls of punched out paper into it and that blocks the keys from being played when they shouldn't be played and allows it to play the keys when they are supposed to be played. So to me, that's sort of like a rudimentary understanding of of the basis of how punch cards work. But any computer science folks out there, please correct me if that's absolutely off base, but that's kind of how I understand it. But she wanted to take it even further. Uh, she wanted to weave what, what are called Bernoulli numbers, these sequences of Bernoulli numbers, um, and that's exactly what she did, uh, and that's what that quote is describing, and that would have been considered the first uh, computer program. You're absolutely right, Ben. Um, and Essinger, uh, in his biography of Lovelace, wrote, Ada here is seeking to do nothing less than invent the science of computing and separate it from the science of mathematics. What she calls the science of operations is indeed, in effect, computing. At a time where they didn't have a name for it, uh, didn't even understand the full ramifications of what this would ultimately be. You know, the Pandora's box, for good or bad, that this would open up. She was very aware of that very high-level stuff that wouldn't even come into play for many, many years. Much more so, I think, than Babbage himself. Yeah, a language of the world, a language that describes reality. She, she said so, to put a fine point on it. Uh, at one point she writes, this science constitutes the language through which alone we can adequately express the great facts of the natural world. So this is figuring out how to, how to translate reality. And that's, that's an amazing thing. At that level, we are getting to what Arthur C. Clarke famously refers to in his quote about the difference between science and magic, right? Any science sufficiently advanced may as well be magic. And this is really what she's doing. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at highfivecasino.com. 
the hottest games right from Vegas, and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! If you look at something called the ADA Initiative, which is a nonprofit organization that arranges conferencing and training programs to elevate women working in STEM, uh, you'll see the executive director, Valerie Aurora, says that Babbage possessed this technical ingenuity, this inventiveness, but in his partnership with Lovelace, she is the one who propelled his invention into the world of computing because she was the one to see the true potential. There's an excellent article that talks about this. Ada Lovelace, First Tech Visionary by Betsy Moraes, which uh, is in the New Yorker from 2013. And unlike, sad to say, many other male uh, inventors or scientists, Babbage had absolutely no problem hyping and supporting Lovelace and her her work and her ability as a computer scientist. He called her Lady Fairy. He called her the Enchantress of Numbers. And and Ada leaned into this. She once called herself the High Priestess of Babbage's Engine, which is cool. It sounds like it'd be really fun to be a fly on the wall in their conversations. I I agree. And and I think it's neat. You know, we're going to see this relationship sort of changes a little bit and it does appear Babbage may have been difficult in some other respects, but he was pretty progressive uh, given the time and all of the, you know, other stuff that we've been talking about, the kind of patriarchal societal model and um, all of that stuff and the the misogyny that existed. But, um, you know, it's not like he pressed for her. He definitely associated her with these, uh, improvements in, in the, in the paper and he wasn't trying to like brush her aside, but, I don't know. 
uh, we'll just see. Let's see how things progress. Um, so Lovelace does become fascinated with the potential for the analytical engine and these algorithms, which I don't even know if they were calling them that at the time, but it essentially is what we would call algorithms today, these pieces of code that are designed to do like a particular task. Um, unfortunately, she didn't continue uh, working with Babbage or, or wasn't more involved. She was sort of relegated to the sidelines a little bit. Um, I think that's maybe where I'm, what I'm getting at is that he definitely listened to her. He, he hyped her up and he, you know, gave her a megaphone and, and a platform to kind of try out some of these ideas, but it ultimately was his thing, right? Yeah, this is where we see an unfortunate complication in their collaboration. So in August of 1843, Lovelace writes a letter to Babbage and she says, hey, why don't you let me help you by uh, putting me in charge of anything related to the analytical project that requires us influencing important people? Kind of like, let me go talk to these folks. Let me go help uh, get some approval, get some funding, get some other assistance. And this was a pretty long letter. Historians still don't know why, but Babbage, in very terse terms, rejected her offer. Uh, you'll see that the best guess people tend to have is that he approved of her work in publicizing his engine, but with this particular project, he felt uncomfortable for some reason about letting her be involved in the project itself. Does that mean maybe he thought she might outshine him? Did his misogyny come into play? I don't know. But ever since that point, due in part to this conflict they had, oh, they stayed friends, by the way. Right. Due part of this, yeah, conflict they had, uh, you'll find some folks say that she was not a programmer at all. But I, I tend to disagree. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I think maybe if she had been more involved in the project itself instead of just kind of relegated to interpreting and, and adding some more clarity around that original paper, then I think she would have become more um, influential in actual programming. She certainly had the, the chops and the imagination, which is really what that poetical science concept is all about, is kind of combining those two things. Um, it was Babbage himself that created the first, what essentially could be called the first operating system um, or operating instructions uh, for the system. Um, she may well have done a better job. You know, it seems like it. Uh, but I understand what you're saying, Ben, and I kind of agree that maybe he was worried that um, she might have stolen his thunder a little bit. Um, the thing is, though, not to beat a dead horse here, she is the one who sort of understood the potential for this stuff more than Babbage, where she understood that it could do things other than just simple calculations. She understood the more modern uh, you know, concept of computing um, in that it can be multi-purpose. It can create these, you know, have like systems running in tandem that can do multiple things. The idea of, you know, apps or like individual pieces of software that can run at the same time certainly more of a rudimentary version of that concept, but definitely approaching that in a really important way. Um, Babbage believed that these machines would be exclusively used for computing numbers. Uh, 
but she had more of a vision. She believed that there could be music involved or like, you know, she, she envisioned word processing. She envisioned the idea of them using, being, being used to make sound, whether that's uh, along the lines of the music box kind of version that I was describing before, which is very similar to what MIDI ultimately is. MIDI is a language, a computer language, that, that basically is a set of instructions that different electronic devices can understand to tell it what to do, to play different notes. She almost foresaw something like that, um, processing photographs and things like that, like all of these very modern concepts. She already kind of had her head around them. Yeah, it's enormously prescient. I, this level of accuracy in a prediction is somewhat rare and it should be acknowledged as such i also i'm not sure the right way to say this i vibe with these kind of predictions and, totally. and it's interesting to me that there are still people who are so folks who say that this person's role in history is overblown are met with uh, responses from other historians who have studied Ada Lovelace their entire lives, and those folks say what's happening now is there are still people in the modern day who are trying to discredit her achievements, and they say, look, this doesn't just happen to prominent historical figures like Ada Lovelace. This happens to women working in tech today, many of whom are in the audience now. And thank you, by the way, for tuning in. As always, ridiculous historians. Uh, People are starting to guess. They're, they're saying, like, well, what, what happened after this? Because as we found, you know, history textbooks sometimes teach us that people exist for one great moment, that it's that one great speech they did, that one eureka uh, second that defines their life. But that's not true. People are people just like everyone else. They have their ups and downs. And some folks say that because Ada hit this wall, in the world of tech, she may have, it, it may have led her uh, into the gambling halls. And right. we do know that in the 1840s, uh, she did pick up a gambling habit. Uh, and some people speculate that this gambling habit forced her to secretly pawn the family's precious stones. I almost said family jewels, but that well, feels like it's more a euphemism these I days. I think it is, but, it, but it's a euphemism for a reason. I think it comes from situations like that. It's the prized possession of like you know your legacy, kind of. And yeah, when you're when you're that low that you have to resort to that, um, that's definitely a, a sad uh, a sad place to be. Uh, and she, you know, reportedly lost thousands of pounds uh, betting on horses um, at the Epsom Derby. Um, she had relationships like. Often people do that get deep into the gambling world with con men and loan sharky types, you know, of the time uh, who were essentially using her uh, for her smarts, for some sort of mathematical way of predicting horse races. Uh, and I think we all know that that's not a thing. <laughs> Maybe there's, you know, ways of calculating odds and, and stuff like that and like, you know, algorithms that can kind of help guide you in the right direction. But if someone had, uh, it's like the, I always think of the sports almanac from Back to the Future 2. You know, if somebody had that ability to predict uh, the outcome of, of sports games, there would be no rhyme or reason to, to betting. It wouldn't, there, there'd be no need for it anymore unless that secret was, you know, just kept just by Biff from the past, you know, who is now a Donald Trump-esque figure living in his high-rise, keeping the sports on the neck in, a, in, a, in a under lock and key. And unfortunately, that's not what happened with 
Ada. Nope. We know their friendship continued. Uh, we know that she met other notable figures like Charles Dickens. Yes, that Charles mm-hmm. Dickens. He was friends with Babbage. He met Lovelace through her. There's, there, oh, before we move on from gambling, there's this really cool conspiratorial passing the book story uh, between her and Babbage, but no one's actually found the book. It'd be great to see what that program was, though, wouldn't it? If yeah. they actually were able to do it. Uh, the, book being, the book being some secret code or some secret algorithm that could predict these outcomes? Yeah, so the idea is that, and you can, you can read some of this in a book called Lady Byron and Her Daughters. Uh, the idea is that about once a week, during the height of her gambling, Lovelace and Babbage would exchange a book that was believed to contain a program that attempted to predict those results. But at the same time, she's struggling with this gambling. She's also struggling with her health, which had been a problem at different points in her adulthood. Uh, It seemed to take a turn for the worst in the 1840s. She suffered from uterine cancer and in August of 1852, Charles Dickens, who by this point is like super famous, he visits he visits her while she is ailing, and then she asks him to read some of his work to her. And so he reads a scene from a novel called Dombey and Son. Dombey and Son was published in 1848, and the scene he reads is the part where, uh, spoiler alert, I guess, is the part where the six-year-old character, Paul Dombey, dies. It's kind of somber stuff. Uh, three months after that, Ada Lovelace herself will, uh, will pass away on November 27th, 1852. The following is a high-five moment from highfivecasino.com. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. 
Happy Pride! Rewind ever so slightly, uh, well, quite quite a ways to her birth and the situation with her father, Lord Byron. Um, I think we made this pretty clear, but just want to emphasize that they never had a relationship at all. He was kind of this, like, you know, specter in her life who loomed large in his own right. Um, she was fascinated with him from afar uh, and with his poetry, but for all intents and purposes, her mother's mission to keep, uh, you know, their daughter from becoming like, um, you know, her lecherous uh, father worked. She very much led a life much more in the uh, image of her, her mom. But it's interesting that she still had that fascination and kind of kept up with him. But it's like you said, Ben, on his deathbed, Lord Byron expressed some um, regrets, you know, over, over not having had a relationship with his daughter, who he seemed to also be aware of, of her reputation and, and legacy and uh, seemed to respect her. But after um, her death, she requested to be buried in the Byron family plot, or vault rather, uh, which was inside the church of St. Mary Magdalene in a very small English town called Hucknall. And her coffin was placed right beside her father's, uh, Lord Byron's. And she too passed away at a very early age. Uh, she was only 36. Um, I believe it was the same exact age that uh, Lord Byron died. Same exact age, yeah. She was, uh, she was close to turning 37, but they, did, they were the same age when they passed away. And her mother built a memorial for her that included a sonnet that Ada Lovelace had written herself. And that, I believe, was a, a beautiful thing for her to do, given that she had, you know, spent so much of her daughter's childhood trying to convince the kid not to write poetry. Uh, so she passes away. Why? How did the world deal with it when this occurred? Well, it may not surprise many of us in the audience today to note that no one really acknowledged her contributions for almost a hundred years. They like nobody really paid attention to her awesome, insightful notes on the analytical engine when they were first published. It wasn't until 1953, an author named B.V. Bowden publishes a book called Faster Than Thought, a symposium on digital computing machines. And that's when people start paying attention to Lovelace's, again, tremendously tremendously insightful work. Picture her like a mathematical Nostradamus, if Nostradamus ever actually made any successful predictions, <laughs> which he didn't, by the way. No, not so much. But uh, but Lovelace absolutely did. And even in the 50s, you know, like, like I said, when I was talking to Alex and, and Max's dad, um, the, mach the machines that existed still were very much along the lines of what Babbage uh, and Lovelace had kind of worked on together and, and um, still not even close to approaching what potential that she saw. That wouldn't really happen until you started getting into the personal computer era when like individuals could start using them for more creative endeavors, you know, at least that part of her predictions, you know, the idea of using them for music and using them for uh, multitasking and things and to be more of like a staple of like uh, everyday life instead of relegated to these like massive server rooms, you know, and being so prohibitively expensive that only um, organizations like the U.S. Department of Defense could afford to house them. Uh, which is exactly what they did in the 1970s 
They spent billions of dollars um, embedding these computer systems with uh, code uh, that they, a coding language that they dubbed ADA. And it changed the trajectory of computer science um, in a very meaningful way. Yeah, it was actually one of the <laughs> one of the most expensive coding projects ever. I think it was the most expensive coding project up to that time in the 1970s. Uh, the folks at the Department of Defense in the U.S. look around and they say we are spending billions in 1970s dollars, so even more money today. We are spending billions on making computing systems, and these computing systems can't talk with each other. They each have their own language. We're building a weird tower of Babel. So instead, they say, let's, let's consolidate all our military computing. Let's save a little scratch. Let's make a language all of these machines can speak together. And when they arrive at this idea, which they do follow through with, that's when that language comes in. Uh, there's a U.S. Navy commander named Jack Cooper, who's, when they're pitching names for it, he says, well, how about we name it Ada, in honor of mm -hmm. Ada Lovelace? And in 1979, everybody looked around and said, yeah, that's an awesome idea. So good for them. Also, Ada is still used across the world today for air traffic control, railroad transit, rockets, even some satellites, military weapons. We don't know how she would feel about, you know, uh, having a language named after her used in warfare, but it's still around. Uh, and it's, it's definitely less popular now. It's fallen out of favor because technology is already so progressing so quickly. But well, but we also know, Ben, that, that like yeah. nuclear plants and, and military operations right. sometimes do tend to use outdated uh, coding right. or, or computers because they need to be proprietary. So they're harder to hack or they're harder to like break into. Correct. Correct. For security. And then also another point would be for predictability. If there are bugs in the program, they've been identified, you know, in the intervening decades. So this is a testament to Ada Lovelace's life and work. And it's a testament that not a lot of people can say that they have achieved. You know what I mean? Everybody gets a statue, right? If you're a leader of old or you're a prominent figure. But to get a new kind of language, a computer language named after you, that's pretty impressive. That's up there with having your face on the money. I would say even more important, honestly. <laughs> I think so, too. Quick footnote, there is an Ada Lovelace Day. In 2009, a British uh, social media guru named Sue Chairman Anderson, in order to encourage young women to go into STEM fields and all of that, they decided to uh, create an Ada Lovelace Day um, that was on October 11th of each year. Um, and it's weirdly not Ada Lovelace's birthday, nor is it the day that she died. Um, it's just the second Tuesday in October uh, because it was convenient. Um, and one thing I just wanted to, to say, because I thought it was really funny, I think I mentioned in the first episode um, a YouTube talk I listened to, or we, we listened to, about um, a book that was written to commemorate the 200th anniversary of her uh, birth, and um, it was it had to do with Oxford Press, and I'm sorry, I'm spacing on the name of it right now, but uh, in the um, presentation, one of the authors mentioned that uh, when they had access to all these letters she wrote, she wasn't very good at keeping track of dates, like she um, oftentimes would would say that uh, a 
letter was be dated for like Sunday, November the second, and the next one would be dated for Monday, November the second. The punchline of the of the bit. <laughs> The author said was, and it turns out that that date was actually a Tuesday. So um, it's, I think, fitting that uh, this date is a little bit arbitrary of of Ada Lovelace Day. Right, right, right. There we go. That's that's uh, poetic as well. One thing we do want to end on that we teased earlier in part one is that when we say Lovelace was prescient and had a had a sharp mind for future trends we need to talk a little bit about the concept of machine consciousness, sometimes called artificial intelligence or AI. Where do you think she fell on on the side of this argument, ridiculous historians? Well, uh, she was was, uh, against it. She said the analytical engine has no pretensions whatsoever to originate anything. It can do whatever we know how to order it to perform. It can follow analysis, but it has no power of anticipating any analytical relations or truths. And so you have to wonder, you have to wonder how long that prediction, and it's often interpreted as a prediction, how long it will hold. Because I, I don't know, the whole time we're talking about this. I, I kept wondering what she would think now, what she would think of the latest innovations. Everybody has a surveillance device, or, you know, the majority of people in the developed world have a surveillance device we just call a smartphone, so it'll seem a little more comfortable. Uh, there are entire multi-billion dollar industries based on predicting people's behavior, right? Based on their past activities, their location, the folks they roll with. So... It's quite possible. I, I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think she would think about the modern world of computing? I think she'd, uh, with that big old brain of hers, probably be able to predict where, where we'd be heading, you know, uh, uh, another, you know, 50, 100 years from now. Um, it just seemed like she really was possessed with a certain prescient ability to kind of just see through um, the veil kind of into into what was next. So I think it would be very interesting to have a conversation with her like Bill and Ted style. Um, I I did want to point out one thing too. I I want to make sure I didn't come off sounding as though the difference engine or the analytical engine were successfully built and existed in the form. It was all conceptual. It was all these papers and these analyses of the concept of these machines. But uh, he never actually got, Babbage also partly because he was a difficult dude, never got the project off the ground um, fully. Um, But in 2002, the London Science Museum, um, with uh, the under the supervision of uh, Duran Swade or Swati, um, they actually built a fully working, full size difference engine, um, and uh, it took 17 years, um, and it is absolutely massive and it represents the completion of this whole legacy that we're talking about obviously the concepts went on to feed computing moving forward but the original you know invention never actually was uh, was created until 2002 and folks i think you can i think you can agree with me no lol i think you guys will also agree that maybe the difference engine would have been built in charles babbage's lifetime if he had just let someone else talk to the people who could mm-hmm. have paid for it. So I think that was a misstep on his. You can't put that on Ada, man. That's all you. It's all you, Charlie. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, this story is equally inspiring. It's equally heartbreaking. 
because we've all heard the old adage, never get the, the flowers while you can still smell them. Uh, and we, we being humanity, owe Ada Lovelace a tremendous debt. Uh, as we said in the beginning of this series, if you have a smartphone, if you have a computer, heck, if you're listening to this podcast, then there's a very strong argument that you personally owe a little bit of gratitude toward the one and only Ada Lovelace. Indeed. Um, and I certainly learned a lot. Uh, I knew a little bit about Ada and, and her legacy and a little bit about Babbage, but um, not nearly as much as we were able to, to dig into on this two-part episode. I uh, hope you all have learned something, too. And we are going to call it a day. This is one for the history books. As always, thanks to super producer Max Williams. Special thanks to our returning guest producer, Lowell Brillante. Noel, can you believe he's stuck with us for a second one? I can't, um, but I am forever in his debt for his patience and uh, and and uh, pr- producing acumen. And also, don't forget to check out Lowell's amazing podcast, Prodigy, available now on uh, the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. Wherever you get podcasts. It's true. It's true. And uh, thanks, of course, also to Alex Williams, who, uh, rumor has it, may be returning to the show sooner than later. Act surprised. Big thanks to Christopher Hasiotis. Big, big thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat. Uh, and, of course, Noel, big thanks to you. And I think we can both say big thanks to Gabe Luzier. I keep wanting to say one. Don't cut this part out. I keep wanting to say the one and only. It just feels so good to say that when you talk true. about people. No, it, it feels good, and uh, it's true. These are all like irreplaceable uh, originals, um, all, all the books we work with. So thanks to all of our one and onlys, and to you, my friend. Back at you. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again! Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com.